From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this is Eric Cressy, and I'm really excited for another episode. Um, today's guest is Steve Ciszek, and he's outstanding. I'm sure you're really going to like it. Before we get to it, though, um, I want to introduce today's sponsor. If anyone's looking for a fantastic gift for the baseball fans of your life, Lumberland Company has you covered. They've hollowed out the bat barrel and created the coolest drink mug ever. Um, these bat mugs are fully customizable and great for commemorating any special occasion. Um, they're also perfect for Mother's and Father's Day, which are right around the corner. You can customize these with colors, names, logos, photographs, making them the perfect gift for the loved ones in your life. I've actually used these several times myself as gifts that you can really personalize in light of people's preferred team colors and things like that. Um, they're an officially licensed product of the Major League Baseball Players Association, have designs available for every player and team, including the team signature edition, which features the engraved player signatures of the entire 25-man roster. Drink straight from the barrel all season long with the Lumberland Bat Mug, the official mug of America's pastime. They're 100% handmade in the USA and designed exactly how you'd like. Uh, on a personal level, I know the CEO, AJ Nukowski, as a longtime supporter of Cressy Sports Performance. He trained as a high school and a college athlete with us, one of the, the biggest weight room savages I know, who literally is one of those guys where I could just flip the lights onto the gym and leave for an hour and I'd come back and he'd be covered in his, his own sweat having gotten in an amazing workout. So I, I love the idea of supporting a business for someone that's worked so hard to do it the right way. And um, I, uh, I've been thrilled to be involved with Lumberland as they've worked their way through here. So um, the nice thing as well, they're offering free shipping on two or more bat mugs with code CSP at checkout. So just enter CSP at checkout and you'll get free shipping on your purchase of two or more bat mugs. Go to lumberlend.com. That's L-U-M-B-E-R-L-E-N-D.com. And you can design your own bat mug today. Lumberland's the home of the original bat mug. All right. Time to get to our guest. Um, as I mentioned, today's guest is a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. He's actually born in Falmouth, Massachusetts, so another Northeast guy who compliments some of our previous guests from the area. He was a fifth-round draft pick in 2007 by the Marlins out of Carson Newman in Tennessee. Uh, made his major league debut in 2010 and since then has racked up 125 career saves while playing for the Marlins, Cardinals, Mariners, Rays, and now the Cubs. He's just finishing up his 10th offseason as a CSP athlete. Um, and on a personal level, he's actually one of our neighbors. Our wives are good friends and our kids play together. I've spent parts of Christmas Day at his home and he's one of the absolute best people I know in baseball or otherwise. And you're going to get a taste of that in today's podcast. So I'm psyched to welcome to the podcast, Steve Ciszek. Welcome to the show, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it, and um, so you know we first started working together in, in I think it was 2010, um, and you were making the the long commute from Falmouth, Mass to, to Hudson, Mass, which is hour and 45 each way, right? Yeah, just about. So you logged a lot of miles in that time, but you know what I think is is really interesting. A lot of people don't know about you um, was that like you weren't just like you didn't roll out of the womb and become a big leaguer. Like you were actually a, a really late bloomer, especially being a guy from Massachusetts. Um, multi-sport athlete growing up, right? Yeah, absolutely. And give me a little feel for what high school Steve Ciszek looked like and played like. 
<laughs> well, it, um, <clears throat> I just had a grow. I played basketball and baseball in high school. Um, so in basketball, I was more of like a shooting guard. So it was probably five nine my freshman year, then shot up to like six two my sophomore year, and so on to my senior year. I I left at around six five, uh, but six five one seventy five soaking wet. Absolutely. And uh, so needless to say, I was a little uncoordinated. Our my legion coach called me Bambi because he <laughs> thought I looked like a newborn deer running around. Um, <laughs> so. You know, it was, it was funny and everything, but uh, when you say late bloomer, um, I didn't really, all I knew how to do was compete. I didn't really, you know, train in the gym, uh, barely, never a long toss. Like, when we went from basketball season right to basically baseball tryouts within like a week after the season. So there wasn't much preparation there. Um, and I just went out there and competed, and that's all I had, and, you know, until I went to college. And, it, you know, it's interesting, too, because there will be a lot of coaches that will listen to this, and you know, there's, there's so many young players who are adamant that they need to go and play division one. And they have like this, this, you know, giant pie in the sky dream. And in many cases, there are kids that just need a little bit more time. And that's particularly the case with guys who are multi-sport athletes who may not be able to do like the lengthy winter throwing program, or, you know, even play well into the summer because they're getting, you know, into a fall sport or something like that. Um, and was that your, your case as well? I mean, did you get interest from a lot of schools or was it crickets? Um, it's kind of crazy. So uh, once the summer before my senior year, I went and did a Boston college baseball camp and the coach there was interested, but because I was so like, I don't know, undeveloped, I guess, you know, I'd have to go to like a prep school and all this stuff before. And I didn't really, you know, want to do that. Um, so other than that, like some smaller schools were interested, but for the most part, I did my own recruiting, you know, I, I sent out these awkward VHS tapes of me, you know, <laughs> hoping to throw 85 someday is what I said, um, and all these videos. And uh, it got to a point where even when I was in uh, Carson Newman that uh, they'd bust those tapes out and just start ragging on me. You know, it, was, it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, it, I didn't I didn't really get, you know, many D1 looks, if any. Um, and a lot of the schools I sent VHS tapes out to never really contacted me back, you know, except for a couple. That's shocking. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, it ended up working out, you know, obviously in the long run. But, uh, you know, like like I said, they, they weren't interested in like a little skinny kid that threw about 82 miles an hour, you know, some of these schools. So Absolutely. And then, you know, when you got to college, what was what were the biggest changes? What were the, the eye-opening experiences that really helped your development the most? Oh, man, from day one, I mean, discipline was the, is number one by far. Uh, I just had no, you know, discipline in like the little things that seem like, you know, not important our school, our coaching staff, I should say, took very important. And they, I mean, they took it very seriously. So I remember my first day, they gave us a list of all the stuff I had to do in the, you know, in the summertime to run and be conditioned. And I didn't know what I was getting into. So I kind of did it half-heartedly and uh, went to college from day one. We didn't line our stools up properly in the locker room. And uh, so we had to run two 300-yard shuttles under a minute or average a minute. And uh, because we didn't line our stools up properly, we had to run a third one. And when I ran that third one, I thought I was about to die. <laughs> like, I, I realized that I was not in the best shape, that as good a shape as I thought. Um, but the cool part about it was when I was running the last one, like, everyone on the team was, like, screaming, like, firing up the guys, trying to finish, like, the seniors. Um, and I, I've never felt that type of camaraderie before. And uh, 
you know, so it's stuck. If these guys are working, you know, really hard to make the team better, that means I need to step it up too. You know, learn yeah. that from day one. Absolutely. And I know, I know Griff at Carson Newman's a, you know, really, really big on attention to detail and he's, you know, very progressive in the way he's always trying to learn and evolve. What was it about Carson Newman, um, you know, that was such a good fit for you where, you know, the, the progress was really quick, right? It was that first year where you really started to thrive, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I, when I say discipline, I mean, that was just a kind of a, you know, funny example, but you know, we, we didn't miss a lift. I mean, miss a set in a lift, um, regardless if we we're doing the right lifts or not, like everyone was really pushing themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, stemmed from, you know, how they taught the seniors to lead, you know, the underclassmen. And, uh, so it was a good fit for me because I didn't really have that type of structure in high school. You know, like, like I said, all I knew, you know, the only thing I know knew how to do was to go out there and compete with whatever I had. And I wasn't the most talented, I didn't think, um, I thought we had a guy that was better than me, even in high school. But, you know, those guys in the coaching staff brought out the best in their ball players. So when I went there, um, again, you know, some of the coaches may not agree with this tactic, but it worked for me. You know, our throwing program was, so if, unless you're, like, hurt, you have to throw the ball with, like, intent on every single throw. Like, at the hips, throw it almost as hard as you can every single day. I've never done anything like that or long toss. And, uh all of a sudden, like I'm developing arm, you know, some arm speed, you know, some arm strength um, mixed in with agility work, the conditioning that we did, a lot of sprint work and the weight room, you know, I, within, you know, my first three or four months, I was like, you know, feeling like a whole totally different person. Yep. And then that, that spring you pitched right away. That's another thing that was kind of overlooked. It wasn't like you sat and waited till your junior, you were able to compete as a freshman, right? Yeah, so that was the crazy thing. Um, I left, I think I left that spring, maybe topping out at 84. I came back, I remember I hit 86 on the gun um, from my first, like, inner squad before the season started in, like, January or February, and I was, like, pumped, you know? Like, holy cow, I can't believe I'm throwing that hard. Well, then, fast forward to our first game of the season, um, you know, I'm going in against the number 14 team in the nation first series, uh go in the game i remember like it was yesterday i, I gave an uh, error a walk i know a hit an error and a walk and his bases loaded nobody out and I, I thought i was gonna blow the game and uh I'm, I'm they take me out i'm upset pitching coach comes over me gives me like a you know quick high five like dude are you kidding me you know i was like wait what like I, that was terrible like we have bases loaded about to lose the game he goes no you hit 92 on the gun i was like what like I thought I was jumping a little bit harder on my hand, but I don't know. It was in the nineties, you know, it, was, it was just blew my mind. And from that point on, I just kind of took off. Absolutely. I think there's so many kids like on this call who probably don't realize how much like fatigue masks fitness. And you see that a lot in college where they push you really, really hard in the fall. Kids go home for winter break and they get a little bit of downtime to recharge. And then they come out and all of a sudden they'd rediscover all this fitness that they actually had. They just they had so much fatigue accumulated. So it's sometimes you take a step back to, to take a step forward. Um, right. but you know, when you were, when you were throwing that arm speed and, you know, over the course of your college career, it, it surged even a little bit more. Like you were, you were pitching in the mid nineties by the time you were drafted, um, as a junior in, in 2007, but give me a little feel for where the, like the arm slot changed over the course of time. Were you a, were you a higher arm slot, uh, when you were drafted? Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely was. Um, in fact, if I have a little video, I, I still kind of watch my first pitch in the big leagues in my first strikeout and even then my arm slot is a lot taller but in reality like it isn't so much my arm slot it's my like posture that's different you know over time 
so when I was in college and when I was in high school, I tried to mimic Derek Lowe and Pedro Martinez. Um, try to, and somehow came out to like you know where I am today. <laughs> but uh, I never had video, a radar gun, like nothing in high school. Um, so I was just kind of going off instinct, you know, what it felt like. Yeah. And so when I saw myself, you know, saw myself for the first time in video, I was like, oh my gosh, that's not even close to what I lo- thought I looked like. And um, I just kind of went with it though. And uh, so fast forward to you know now. Over time, honestly, I think with some fatigue in there from pitching, you know, multiple days in a row in the big leagues, just trying to find a way to keep the ball down with sync, um, I just got to a natural arm slot. Like, I don't know how to throw a baseball any other way. So from 2010 till now, everything's kind of, you know, developed, you know, as me, my posture kind of a little bit more hunched over, getting lower, but my arm is basically in the same spot. It's just my posture. Yeah, it's it's really like a low three quarters arm action, but there is more like trunk tilt. And you know, a lot of people have questions about managing submarine and sidearm pitchers. And on the training side of things, I I say really a lot of the arm care stuff is is no different. It's really about how you take care of their their core control and their hip mobility and some of the positions that they they put themselves into. Um, what what are some of the things that you think about? You know, if if you would even consider yourself like a sidearm delivery, like what have you learned over the years in terms of where you know where you are when you're going good versus where you're you are when you're struggling what are the what are the mistakes people make throwing from you know kind of those positions i think when you said um you know trunk tilt uh i think that's a big that's a big thing for me is when i'm my lower half isn't working in sync with my you know upper half that's where i get in trouble like if my legs don't feel right you know hips um feel a little tight and stuff like that you know everything else is forced and that's where I come up and out of my delivery, meaning when I land, my I, I tend to land and come up and out. I, I wish I could show you on video what that, what that means, but um, as opposed to landing and staying through the baseball sting and then staying behind it, um, that's a, it's a big difference. And a great example I had of that was um, we, I did what we call a lab for the Cubs, and they show an ultra slow motion camera of our hand uh, at release point, you know, um, the, the ball just coming out of our hand. And I threw one slider that was backed up terribly. And I threw another one that was an absolute, like, perfect slider, just bang. And the difference on that super slow motion camera was literally one frame. Yeah. And that's because I came out of my delivery just slightly, <laughs> you know. So it's the timing aspect, too. Like, if you come up and out of your delivery, your timing's thrown off. You're getting underneath the ball probably. There's so many factors so it's important for me to, you know, a do my pre work, but make sure and make sure my lower half is working in sync with my upper half. Yeah, and you know the thing I I've always like looked at when I've watched your delivery is I think a lot of people think that it's just like it's a lean forward to create that trunk tilt, but in reality it's it's a load into the back hip to provide you with the direction you need. It's it's yep. kind of it's kind of like looking at different kinds of deadlifts. There are gonna be ones where there's more hip flexion versus ones that have less. Um, you know, you also made you made a point, obviously, about the lower half in general. What are you thinking about with your front leg? Because you're you're a really long stride. You know, your your actual versus perceived velocity is one of the biggest differences in baseball. Where I think perceived is like a good, you know, mile and a half harder than than your actual velo. What is it that allows you to to be that far down the mound and not be like the, you know, we have this generation of kids who tried to be Tim Lincecum and they wound up throwing balls into the press box by accident. What allows you to create that good downhill plane in spite of the fact that you're so far down the mound? Yeah, um, <laughs> honestly, I don't even really think about it. It's, mm-hmm. It just kind of came natural to me. Yeah, I, I used to land a little bit shorter, and over time, I think to 
as I saw my velocity kind of dip, I was just kind of reaching more, you yeah. know, and probably not a good habit, but it's just what happened. You know, I, as a competitor, I'm always trying to, you know, I'm given everything I possibly have. And that kind of turned into my stride length, even getting about half and another inch or so further. Um, so basically all I'm thinking about is that I'm just trying to ride down the slope as long as I can, mm -hmm. keeping my front hip. Like if you put a laser pointer on like a gun hip straight at that catcher's mitt as long as I possibly can. And then boom, like open up and fire. That's, that's what I'm thinking. So it's late. And so it's allowed me to ride down that slope, you know, a lot longer than probably most people. Absolutely. So, um, actually kind of like maybe an interesting, you know, follow up to that. So back in 2013, you played in the world baseball classic. Um, I can distinctly remember I was out to dinner in Louisville and watching the game against the Dominican Republic on the, the, the bar TV. And you were like touching 96 and, you know, basically in early March, I, I think, I want to say you struck out Hanley Ramirez, Jose Reyes, um, and Robinson Cano on, it might've been an immaculate inning or something really, really close to it. Um, so you're throwing absolute fuel, but then what was interesting about that is, you struggled that April after the WBC happened. What what lessons did you kind of learn about arm action, ramp ups, things like that during that that spring? Yeah, um, well, yeah. Obviously, I went into that spring, you know, with the intent of you know pitch meaningful innings in March. So I think I was a little bit more prepared earlier. But really, what for me, what it came down to was like I always, you know, I me, mean, I always kind of prepare early. I feel like when spring training starts, I'm almost you know, in game ready, I just throw live VPs and stuff. But the difference was those live VPs turned into <laughs> pitching against other countries. So yeah. um, with that said, I just had a ton of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. You know, that's probably the most nervous slash excited I've ever been pitching for, you know, pitching in a baseball game. Mm -hmm. So coupled with that and my arm shot was a tick higher um, and I was landing a little bit sooner, I was able to generate a little bit more velocity and and I was younger too. So, <laughs> um, at the, I don't know, the ball is just jumping out of my hand, but the struggles came because I, I took that confidence into the season and I got hit around a little bit early. And then I was trying to like rethink what I was doing. I saw my arm slot was a little higher. Maybe I need to drop it down to touch, mm -hmm. you know, get a little bit more trunk tilt. And sure enough, I did, as I, when I did that, the ball started sinking again. So yep. harder isn't always better, especially for someone like me. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had my last couple of years have been my best years and my Vila has been 88 to 91, you know, um, because I'm able to consistently sink the ball better in better locations. Whereas if I'm throwing 95, the ball has a little bit more ride, no sink, and it, you know, starts and stays middle. So, and that's um, actually a point that Brandon Kinsler made to me in a, in a conversation. He's obviously a big sinker baller too. And he doesn't like it when he's 94, 95, he likes it when it's one to three and, you know, just feels like the stuff is that much better. Do you, is that a, is that something you you've basically come across in conversations with other two seam guys, or is that something that's unique to, to you guys? Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I think it's a little bit of both, a little bit unique. It's something I, I don't know anyone else that wishes, other than Kim's that they threw slower, <laughs> you know, he's I'll, just salty. I'll, he's just salty. He's just, he works with what he has, which is great. Yeah. And so do I, like, I think we come to a point where we realize that our stuff is still, still plays here. Yep. And we also know, you know, how to use that stuff. We've been playing for a long time now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, do I wish I threw 95 sometimes? Cause it's yeah. fun. But <laughs> at the same time, like I, um, I realize I'm more effective, you know, the, you know, 89 to 93 range, let's say, you know, when I was, when, so that season when I dropped, I got back down a little bit, I was about 90, 90, 91 to 93, you know, touching 94 and I ended up being my best season of my career. Yeah. Cause I was able to, you know, manipulate the ball better and 
work better counts because I was had better control. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it goes. It can go either way, I guess. Yeah. How has the slider changed over the course of time? I, I, I want to say it was it might have been 2017 when you moved over to the to the Rays midseason. I, I think it ranked as one of the top two or three like swing and miss pitches in baseball. What is it a, about your slider? that you think makes it good and and what were the lessons that you had to learn over the years to to get it to that point yeah so i didn't have a slider until my second year in pro ball i just could not i had never had a feel for a breaking pitch and uh one one day after i got absolutely destroyed in um low a greensboro throwing nothing but fastballs and change-ups um our one of our scouts stan meek said hey i want you to try this spike your slider um and just throw it like you know throw it as hard as you can so it acted like a cutter and it felt good so i just kept working on it and during instructional league at the end of the season working on it all off season and all of a sudden i started getting a feel for it and started being able to manipulate it with my hand and that's the pitch that literally took me to where i am today um now i don't throw it as hard but it has more break um and i get more swings and misses than i did when i was throwing it harder so i'm kind of just rolling with it so and we're going to, we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit. I'm going to tell a little story that I think will lead into the next question. So 2012, uh, was the fall. It was after the season ended. We had a, a minor league guy who at the time, I think had spent time in high A and double A with the, the Marlins. Um, and it's Matt Neal, who's now retired, but Matt mm-hmm. came up to see us in Massachusetts and we got talking the first night in town. He actually stayed at the house with, with my wife and I while he's in town to train. And I'll never forget Matt telling the story about how in his what I think was his first spring training with the Marlins. He was doing some foam rolling in the weight room or something like that. And you literally came over, introduced yourself to him, shook his hand. You know, at that point you were, you know, you were the closer. And I think that was 2012 was the year that you had the, you know, the really, really good year with, you know, consecutive save streak and all that stuff. And his mind was just blown that like the big league closer guy who's really established himself at that point, went out of his way to go and introduce you know, yourself to a, a kid in high that, that nobody knew. And presumably you did that to a ton of guys. Um, and I think that's a theme that's like resounded over the course of your career. Like literally everywhere you go, you create raving fans, whether it's like going to the Rays or the, the Cardinals, the Mariners. We always hear about people who, who have become close with you and, you know, really talked about you being an amazing teammate. So when you go to a new clubhouse, like what is it about your personality, about the way you carry yourself and, and the way you try to win people over quickly and become a great teammate? Um, I just try to be, you know, humble. That, that's the only, that's really what it comes down to um, is just humility. Like in that case. So, yeah, I think I remember, I remember meeting Matt. He's an awesome guy. And uh, I remember when I was in the minor leagues, I was terrified to be, it's this tiny little weight room in spring training in, yeah. in Miami. Right. Yep. And uh and minor leaguers, you know, when they saw big leaguers in there, were kind of told to like get out. And um, and I didn't really think it was necessary. And I was there early, so when I was, you know, I think I was foam rolling too. And I just wanted to make him feel welcome, like he didn't have to leave. Like you're striving, you're he's trying his best to be able to get to level to level, and I understand that. So I just try to go down to his level and just, you know, try to get to know him a little bit, make him feel comfortable. That way, he doesn't feel intimidated when other big leaguers come in. He's trying to get his work done. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted, I wanted him to, my, my biggest thing is I want whoever's around me to, to get better. Like if, if I'm not able to help someone else get better, um, that's on my team, you know, on my side, then, then what am I doing here? You know? So absolutely, I think it's the biggest thing is I just want everyone around me to, to be the best baseball player, you know, person obviously too, too, but a best baseball player they can. And like, how can I help you get to that point is the kind of way I go into 
you know, meeting, meeting these guys. So absolutely. So, and here's the kind of the, the, the opposition to that is, so obviously, you know, both on the field or sorry, in the clubhouse, I would say, and in your, your personal life, your church life, you know, just what I see around the facility and all that stuff, you know, you're an incredibly nice guy, but I know it's not all like, uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows once you get on the mound. So how does a nice guy flip the switch so quickly, particularly knowing you've been, you know, kind of the super reliever coming in in a crazy spot in the fifth inning, you've come in and closed. Um, what are the things that you do to kind of like flip that switch to go to the, you know, be that crazy competitor that you are on the mound? Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm super competitive. I mean, you've seen me and DJ play ping pong, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I hate losing so much. And, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't really kind of develop that until those college years, I think. And, um, you know, with how those guys push me, but anyways, when, when the fifth inning rolls around, I drink my Red Bull, um, you know, after I drink that and I start getting up, moving around, trying to get it flowing. And the whole time I'm moving, I'm thinking of myself just, you know, punching guys out and, um, the, you know, crowd getting into it, like all these things that create adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to pump myself up every single night. You know, it's not easy most nights, but I, as long as I do the same routine, um, and I prepared the same way, if I prepared hard in the off season, um, if I prepared before that game, you know, did my homework on it, all those things combined into one product on the field. Like rest assured when I go out there, I've, you know, I've done all my homework. I've worked hard. I, I can lean back on those things. Yeah. And then my faith comes in too, you know, by, you know, I'm called to pitch to the glory of God as a Christian, you know? So when I'm able to do that, you give, the, give everything I have to the glory of God, my teammates reap the benefits of that. So you know, all those things kind of combine into one product and I'm yeah. out there and I'm just fired up, ready to go. And That's uh, awesome. it takes me a long time to wind down after that, Yeah. you know, good outing or bad outing. But, um, you know, yeah, I just, I just want to get after it. And so, you know, obviously like trusting your preparation is a huge part of it. It's probably, you know, bigger, if not bigger competitive advantage of having a, you know, a loud crowd and, you know, the adrenaline of just going into the game in a tight spot. What do you do, uh, you know, particularly last year was, I think it was 81 appearances over the course of the season, um, you know, went a little bit into the postseason as well. How have you uh, kind of moderated or, or I guess, uh, you know, modified your throwing program over the course of time, knowing the workload is higher? Like, do you th- still throw every day pregame? Do you, you know, do you play catch on off days? What is it that you do during the season throwing wise to effectively accommodate that higher workload? Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is listening to my body. So if, um, if I throw two days in a row, I'm not going to throw my throwing program with long toss or anything like that nearly as hard as if I had two or three days off. So if I, if I had two or three days off, you know, a Kinsler is my throwing partner, for instance, like we'll kind of long toss, but I'll, I'll be throwing balls more on a line to him, you know, getting, getting more behind it. Um, as opposed to if I throw two days in a row or a multiple inning, I'm literally just massaging it out so to speak does that make sense yeah absolutely and when you say long toss what's what's long toss to you because obviously that's changed over the time as your as your trunk tilt has changed as well how far out will you take it both off season and in season yeah i should say long toss loosely the most the furthest i go with my arm slot is probably like 150 and that's absolutely max Mm -hmm. you know like one i'd say 120 is probably average during the season on days where i've had a couple days off but if i've like i said if i've thrown like two days in a row you know, sometimes three days in a row, I'm, we're going 60 to 90 feet max, mm-hmm. just massaging it out. And uh, I'm just listening to my arm. You know, I'm trying to save as many bullets as I can. Absolutely. So, you know, 
this is kind of another interesting story that I think leads into it. So um, I'm going to tell you a story that I think leads to the next question. So in 2016, there was a Sunday night baseball game at Wrigley Field. I'm sure you remember it. Um, it was, you know, you blew a save, and then the, the Mariners lost an extra innings. And I think it was a John Lester walk-off suicide squeeze in that game. Yeah. Um, Ed and I were at the game. Um, I had given a talk in Chicago, so we came out to – to see you. And I mean, it was a, it was a tricky one. Like there was a double play in the ninth that probably should have gotten turned and it didn't and it extended the inning. It was like a, a bloop double, just like a perfect storm, you know, a, a slider that got away for a pass ball or wild pitch or whatever it was. But I just remember the game didn't end until about midnight. And, and after the game, Ann and I were like, Oh boy, is Steve going to want to talk? Like, what do we do? Like, should we, should we still go down and meet him after the game? And we were waiting like in the friends and family section, which was right by the team bus. And you walked out, and it was like nothing had happened. You gave us both big hugs. And the first thing you said was, how are your girls? And we chatted. And then you, you went and signed some autographs for some fans before hopping on the team bus to go to the plane. And I'm pretty sure that was like a – it was probably like 2 a.m. on a Monday morning. And you threw that night against the Red Sox in Seattle. Um, so you know, my question for you is like what are your strategies for flipping the switch, right? Game ends, didn't go well. What, what do you do to bounce back knowing that you're going to potentially have to take the baseball – you know, 18 hours later in a, in a different state, three time zones away. Ooh, <laughs> that night, I, I, I probably won't forget that one because yeah. next day I pitched and gave it up that game too, but that's <laughs> when I went on the DL. My hip. That was when your hip was pretty bad too. And you didn't complain about it at all. Like it was never no, an excuse for you, to. you know? Yeah. And so what, what is it that allows you to, to turn, turn around on days like that when it doesn't go well, but knowing, Hey, I've got to be ready the next day. Well, in one sense, unfortunate. The unfortunate side is I've been on the <laughs> uh, maybe had an experience with failure, you know. Yeah. But I think that's also what makes you a better ball player and a person is dealing with failures. If everything was sunshine and easy, you know, if life was so easy, then you know, you wouldn't. I feel like you wouldn't learn anything. Yeah. Um, so for me, I remember that particular night. Even like, I, I leave the game. Like, I still have an obligation to other people. Like, I'm not gonna go out, blow everyone off because I had a bad day and have a pity party. Like, no, I want. I'm still. When I was talking to you guys, I was absolutely distraught with what happened. Like, I was really upset with how the game went, how I pitched, how I felt like I let the team down. And, but you know, when I go and see my family or friends or other people, it's not their fault that I pitched bad. Like, so why am I gonna, you know, <laughs> you know it's not your fault that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to blow you off. Like, I want to make sure that, you know, that, that it's just friendship, you know, like yeah. I want to go over there and, you know, chat with you guys and you know, I'll try my best to act like I'm nothing's <laughs> happened, but deep inside, like I was, yeah. you know, struggling. Yeah. You do your best to compartmentalize things, right? Yeah. You compartmentalize because like you said, the next day, like you don't have room to dwell on it. You have to go back out there and pitch. Your team's yeah. relying on you. So I could either sit there and throw a pity party and uh, just throw in the towel or I can just, you know, put my, you know, pull my socks back up, put my pants on and go out there and grind it out again, you know, Absolutely. just like my rest of my teammates are. So I think that's what it is, is, you know, those guys are out there every single day, you know, they're given everything they possibly have and they don't feel great. Like I need to do that too. Like mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. And uh, so, yeah. That's good. I just don't take my outings home with me. Basically, yeah. is what it comes down to. And I think it's probably easier to do that now that you've got young kids and all that. There's always a distraction once you actually get back to to the home life. And I've heard that from a lot of guys over the years. Yep. No, for sure. Like it's <laughs> like I come home. It's the best thing ever. My daughters, you know, they don't know like yep. what happened. They they always say, "Oh, great job, Dad!" I could have given up a grand slam. Like <laughs> you know, and it, it, that makes it easier. Yep. You know, to be honest with you, than before when I didn't. I mean, we didn't have children, or Marissa and I weren't married yet, but 
you know, it's not my it's not my girl's fault that daddy had a bad day. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know take it out on them. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, in season training. There are a lot of um, you know relievers that are that are listening to this, and you know pitching coaches who manage relievers. And I think one of the questions that we get over and over again from kids is like, you know, particularly on the college side of things, they just don't know when to squeeze in lifts. They don't know whether they're gonna throw three times on a college weekend and then a midweek game. Um, you know, talk about what you do from a lifting schedule during the season, um, and, and how it's kind of evolved over the years. Yeah, it has definitely evolved over the years. I think like the big thing, you know, back when I was tomorrow, I was like, oh, you got to lift upper body after you pitch. I'm like, well, I don't know when I'm going to pitch. I'm a reliever. Yeah. So I kind of just took a lot of stuff that you've given me over the years and, um, you know, put it together to do a lower, like, and this is really light. You know, um, a lot of guys might even think it's too light, but it's worked for me so far is I'll lift lower body um, one day, upper body the next day, take two days off and then lower upper two days off. And I do that throughout the course of the entire year. And whether I feel good, I feel terrible after the game, I'm in there. I, I try to be disciplined with that. And yeah. I feel like that's gone a long ways. If I remain consistent with that, I never get sore. Um, you know, I feel like I, you know, relatively maintain some strength. Um, but really is the mental aspect. Like, yep. you know, I, I did this, that, like, I'm ready to go. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've put in the preparation. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, t- you know, create any shortcuts. Um, you know, I put in my work. Um, and from a health standpoint, too, you know, I've been relatively healthy other than the hip. Mm-hmm. My shoulder might get tired every now and then, but that's normal, you know. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. It's always lower body, upper body, two days off. If you have yeah. an off day in between, sure, so three days. I don't ever go more than three days off between lifts. That's that's a big deal, and I think a lot of guys just realize it, need to realize if you wait around for the perfect time to do it, there's never going to be a perfect time, particularly never. if you're making 80 appearances in the big leagues. Um, so, uh, you know, so there's something to be said. You're you're basically lifting, you know, probably 45 percent of days throughout the season if you really do the math on it. You know, throwing a couple off days and that two on two off schedule. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's definitely a lot to be said for that. So, uh, changing gears, baseball wide fastball usage is is going down, and for a while you were a guy who was actually throwing the slider more than the fastballs. Um, and in the, fa- the past couple of years, your fastball usage has actually climbed um, to the point that it was like just over 60% last year. Um, so you're, you're effectively going opposite, you know, what baseball is doing in terms of your usage. Um, talk about like kind of the changes uh, in terms of why that was the case and, and what was your, your reasoning for, for changing it up? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with our scouting reports, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, we have really good scouting reports on this team uh, um, that I feel like kind of fit into what I try to do with hitters. So um, nowadays everyone's trying to launch balls left and right, you know? So yeah, yeah everyone's throwing off speed and, uh, and I'll do that too, for sure. But I, I feel like my sinker plays a lot better when guys are trying to hit the ball a million you know, miles because everyone gets big, all of a sudden they swing and the ball's underneath their bat, boom, roll over. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, like, I, you know, I, I threw 80, you know, 80, what, 80 games last year. And the reason why I was able to do that is because guys get big, they roll over early in the count. I keep my pitch count low. I'm able to pitch the next day. Absolutely. So everything I try to do is get guys out early. I don't care about strikeouts. Yeah. They're sexier probably, but mm-hmm. maybe they get paid more, but my arm appreciates it more when I get <laughs> an out the first yeah. two pitches of the at bat. So, you know, um, and yeah, so, sorry. but you'll, you'll still go up though. I think that's what, you know, it's not just a two like you have a four seam that you will throw up more so that it's not just everything is down in the zone. Like you have an ability to keep them honest at the top of the zone. Um, like 
so ha, do the four seam, has that been something you've always had or, you know, how have you actively used that over the years? Yeah. So I've, I've always had it. Um, yep. I've early on, I've never used to throw up in the zone. I was always taught stay down, stay down. That was the whole, always the pitching philosophy. Well, now like again, with the launching and all that stuff, like guys are trying to lift the ball. So if you throw a ball above their barrel, like it's going to be hard to stay on top of that. Yep. Um, so especially last year is the first year where I've thrown fastballs up throughout the account, yeah. uh, throughout the at-bat, um, to where I left these are up. Um, I can throw a oh, fastball up, even if it's a ball, like I can still mix in off speed or, yeah. you know, locate a down LA sinker. Like I, so it's more unpredictable. And mm-hmm. I think that's where that those fastball numbers come in is because yeah. even with righties now too, um, I never used to do it until last year is I'll elevate on them throughout the at-bat. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to keep them off balance because I know they're trying to lift it. Uh, it's just about being unpredictable. Any anything I can do to create to make the hitter more uncomfortable is what I'm trying to. Is, I'm all for it. Absolutely. So I mean, I've I've caught your pens myself. Not a lot of them, but it's uh, needless to say, it's a challenging bullpen to catch, and it's that's not just a testament to how poor a catcher I am, but it's also the fact <laughs> that this stuff is pretty nasty. And the thing I always just felt like it got on me so quickly. Um, you've you've obviously thrown through a lot of catchers, having been with the Marlins, the Cardinals, you know, the the Mariners, the Rays, and now the Cubs. Um, you know, talk a little bit about like catcher report. I know you you love throwing to Jeff Mathis during your time with the Marlins, and a lot of guys say he's the the best receiver they've ever thrown to. Um, what feedback do you give to a catcher? You know, what do you ask them? What advice would you give to younger players who are trying to build good rapport with their catchers, especially if they throw to a lot of different ones in a short amount of time? Yeah, definitely. I think the best advice for a catcher is to know your pitcher. All right, if you if you haven't caught the guy before, you're trying to get you know trying to figure him out. Go up to him and ask him where you like to set up. That's huge. Like that's a, I think it's some of the first things I, I'll, I'll do with guys is, hey, you know, when I'm throwing an arm side fastball, um, please sit up, set up middle in, you know, not on the corner, but right inside that corner. My ball will tail off if you set up on the corner. Or versus glove side fastball set up on the corner because I don't want it to tail middle. You know, those are huge cues that you need to know, like where to set up on your off-speed pitches. You know, on my mm-hmm. slider, you can set up on the corner away, but away from a lefty, I want you just, you know, on the outside of that corner so I can sweep it over the middle. Like, it's, it's, it goes a long way. I mean, you need – that's the number one thing you need to know. Yeah, A, know their pitches, obviously, but B, where do you want – where does he want you to set up? And then C, especially guys that throw the ball down, like learn how to get, I'm not a catching coach, but you got to learn how to get underneath that ball to make it look like a strike versus stabbing it out of the zone. I think that goes a long ways, like in terms of getting strikes called, you know, a lot of catchers have a hard time getting their hands underneath the ball and like a sinker or pitch down, off speed down. Whereas, you know, when you stab it out of the zone, it's taking the strike away oftentimes. And it's tough for guys like me when I'm trying to, keep the ball down there on certain pitches. Like I need those strikes called, you know? Absolutely. So I think those three things are huge. Nice. All right. So now we got the lighting lightning round um, as we kind of wrap up. So what advice would you give to a teenage Steve Ciszek? <laughs> Get in the weight room and run. Like <laughs> I was just so unathletic. I thought I was a great athlete. No, like I needed to get in the weight room a lot earlier and with, and with good coaching too. Yeah, strength in the teenage years puts you so far ahead of, of everybody else if you've got it. Um, what about college Steve Ciszek? Um College Steve Ciszek, <laughs> stop looking at the radar gun. I think so many times I went in there and scouts started showing up. I tried to light it up, and instead I was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I just needed to stay a little bit more humble, I think. Yeah, what about minor league Steve Ciszek? Oh, um, 
I think state, of course, I, I was too many times. I was again with the scouts too. I was afraid of what the coaching staff thought, what pitching coordinator thought. I wanted to get to the next level that I'd almost pitch in fear versus yeah. just going out there and attacking. And then what about the advice you give yourself on a daily basis? What, what are your, what writes the ship when things aren't going well? What are you telling yourself going into a game? Um, just, you know, trust the process. You know, I've, I've been here before. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to be able to trust everything I'm doing, everything I've done in the past, and just realize that, you know, I'm up here for a reason and um, just be thankful for it and then go out there and compete every day. Absolutely. All right. Uh, easy one. I think we talked about this one before. What's more important, stuff or command? Command. All right. Favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, this is rapid round still? Yeah, whatever you got. Uh, favorite teammate and why? Uh, probably Jeff Mathis. You know, A, yeah, he's a great catcher, but B, he commanded the locker room so well and taught the young guys how to, how to be a big leaguer um, better than anyone I've seen. Absolutely. All right, last one is what pitchers do you like to watch and why? Um, I like to watch guys that have better stuff than me because it's just entertaining. Like Scherzer, <laughs> like watching him because he's super competitive. I like guys that are super competitive. You can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's just it's just a, a joy. That's awesome. Well, this is a, this is a blast to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure everybody on the call, whether it's coaches, players, parents, um, you name it, they're all going to really really benefit from this. So, folks can find you on Instagram at srshrek31. Um, and uh, we're really, really appreciative of your time. So thanks for coming on, Steve. All right. Thanks, Eric. Good talking to you. You too. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. Subscribe to continue listening to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or YouTube. If you like what you heard, we'd encourage you to leave a review of our show on iTunes or email us your feedback at EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Again, we appreciate you tuning in, and we'll see you next time.